We turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be looking at the passage here for our lesson this morning. This is found in the middle of the, or actually near the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus, throughout this discourse, is describing the character of those who would be his disciples, which means those who are his followers, those who would learn from him, who would who would follow after him. He's describing what type of person that we need to be if we are going to follow him. And in the passage we're going to be looking at here, beginning in verse 13, he made it clear that his disciples would have an impact on the world around them. That they were going to have an influence to those who they came in contact with. And he used three different analogies here. We're going to read about those. He talked about the salt of the earth and the light of the world and a city that is set on a hill. Each one of these pictures emphasizes a different aspect of the influence that we are going to have or that we are to have on others. And also, in some ways, will even show us how the world is going to react to us as we try to live as a disciple of Christ. So I want us to begin by reading these verses. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 13. He said, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So again, he uses those three analogies there that we mentioned. That you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world, you are a city that is set on a hill. We're going to talk about each one of these in our lesson this morning and see... What does it mean for us to be what Jesus is describing here? So we think about the influence that we have on the world around us. What is that going to look like? Well, he begins by talking about, he says, you are the salt of the earth. And he says there in verse 13 that if the salt does not do what it is meant to do, then it says in verse 13, it's no longer good for anything. You might as well just throw it out. You might as well just throw it, toss it on the ground and trample it underfoot. It's, it's not worth any more than the dirt on the ground or, or the, the things that you find down there. It's not worth any more than that if it doesn't do what it is intended to do. So what is it that salt is used for? Well, there are two primary uses. Both of them apply here. One is salt is used to improve the taste of food and it also is used to help preserve food and both of these apply to how we are to influence the world around us the salt is used to improve the taste of food well what does that look like for us as disciples so we think about the world that we live in we are living in the world that in large part has rejected God has rejected him rejected Christ and Jesus, here he's just beginning his preaching, beginning his ministry, and he's telling these people that you are going to be in a world that is different from what I am calling you to be. 
but disciples, those who are following Christ, are to improve the world around them. As we are focused on the kingdom of God, as he talks about this in in this sermon, he talks about seeking first the kingdom and his righteousness in chapter 6 and verse 33. We are focused on the kingdom, but we are still living among the kingdoms and nations and, and countries that are here on the earth. But if we are focused on what we need to be focused on and following Christ and doing His will, we are going to help make life more palatable for those who are around us. That the troubles and the difficulties that come in this life, we are to help alleviate those things. Well, how do we do that? Well, in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 10, Paul, as he's writing to those brethren, he tells them, So then, while we have opportunity... Let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. We can make the difficulties of life seem not so bad. We can help provide help and support when people are facing difficulties. We can help make this life seem less negative, less bad, less filled with hardship. It says you are the salt of the earth. You are making everything else seem better by following after me and doing what I've called you to do. But also, salt is used as a preservative. Salt is used to help preserve food so it will last longer, so that it doesn't spoil. Now, this does not mean that, well, if there are more disciples, or disciples are more faithful, or more what the Lord wants us to be, then God is going to delay judgment when that finally comes. Paul, when he was in Athens, a comment was made in our Bible class this morning about Paul preaching in Athens in Acts chapter 17. But one of the comments that he made while he was preaching to them was that God has fixed a day or appointed a day in which he will judge the world through the one who was raised from the dead, through Christ. God has determined when that day of judgment is going to be. And if we are just act more and more faithful, or if we convert more people to Christ, we do all that, that's not going to cause God to push back that day of judgment, and the world is going to last a little bit longer. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. Instead, what he is saying here is that you act as a preservative in the sense that by doing good, and through your influence as you affect other people, you are going to help preserve what is good and right in the world. Because you are not going to be led along in the following wickedness and sin that is so prevalent in the world. You're not going to be doing that. And by your influence, others may be turned away from that and doing what is good and right as well. So salt is used as a preservative. We as disciples, we are to help preserve what is good and right in the world. Not that we think that we can delay God's judgment against this world. We know we can't do that. But we can preserve what is right and what is good and try to help influence and spread that to as many people as we can. The next analogy Jesus uses says, You are the light of the world. As lights, as he says in verse 14, You are the light of the world. He explains that you are not going to be able to be hidden. And we should not try to be hidden. He says in verse 15, Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. It gives light to all who are in the house. 
that you think about in a practical sense. Jesus is stating something very practical here that if you are in your house, your house is dark, and you light a lamp, you know, we have technology, we can just flip on a switch, or even some may have smart technology in their homes where you can just program it on your phone and it automatically comes on, or, or their sensors, you walk into a room and light come on. We have technology like that that does that. They would have to light a lamp. He says here, you light a lamp, and but the principle applies with us today. We might you know, flip a switch and turn on the lights, and we might do that. But the reason why you do that is because you want the room to be illuminated. You want to be able to see what is around you. You don't light a lamp and then immediately put that under a basket or somehow cover up that light because then it doesn't do any good. Again, going back to this, what we talked about with the salt of the earth, if it's not salty, then it's not good for anything, you throw it out. Well, you don't light a lamp in order to light up the room, but then, well, I'm just going to cover that up so that no one can see the light. No one would do that. It wouldn't make any sense for anyone to do that. Jesus is saying, I am giving you, or I'm explaining to you, you are the light of the world. Jesus, is, we'll get to in a minute, described himself as the light of the world. He didn't come and, and try to stay in hiding and go live in a cave and no one ever knew who he was. He was with the people. He was showing his example, showing or explaining his teaching and doing all these things. He says, you are the light of the world. You cannot be hidden. We are to let our light shine, as he says there in verse 16. Well, what is that for? What's the purpose of, of doing that? When he says, you are the light of the world. Well, what th one thing that light does, it shows the way that we need to go. You have a path that goes through, goes along a street, or maybe the path leading up from your driveway to your home. It might be lit up so that you can see where you are supposed to go. You can see where the walkway is. Light shows the way. The psalmist over in Psalm 119, verse 105, described the Word of God in this way. The Word of God, Psalm 119, 105, is described as a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. God has given us His Word. It's why we spend time in sermons like this. We're focused on what the Bible says. In our Bible classes, we focus on what the Bible says. And we are to also, each one of us individually, we have, we have time during the week each day where we can study from His Word, but we focus on His Word because that's what shows us what we are to do. It shows us the direction that we go. He's given us his word for that. But we are to act as lights to the world by, one, following that example. We are to, we are to show what is good and show what is, what is right, but also by sharing that light with others. We talked about in our Bible class this morning what Paul and Barnabas did when they got to Lystra and the misconception that the people had that, well, they performed this miracle, so it must be that the gods have come down. They've become like one of us. We're going to offer sacrifices to them. And Paul and Barnabas tried earnestly to stop them. Because they said, well, we're men just like you are. We are trying to turn you from these vain things to serve a living and true God. This is what we're trying to do today. We're not trying to 
to have people become followers of us. We're trying to get people to be followers of Christ. We're trying to lead them to Him, which is why when we, if we are teaching someone or we're trying to explain something to someone, we need to be directing them to what the Word of God says because it doesn't matter what I say. It doesn't matter what we think. It doesn't matter what, you know, as a church, what we do. What matters is what the Word of God says. And that should be the basis of what I am teaching or what this church is practicing. We need to find our, our teaching and our doctrines and our practice in the Word of God. But when we're trying to share this light to others, we need to be pointing them to the Scriptures because if we're trying to correct them, well, there may be times where we need to be corrected too. And we need to be brought back to what the Word of God teaches. But we are always trying to direct people to the Word of God. And Peter said over in 1 Peter 3 and verse 15, he says, You always be ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. That as you have opportunities, as you're talking to people and you're conversing with people, and they wonder, why do you have the hope that you have? Why do you believe in God? Why do you think that you're going to heaven? Why do you think that exists? Why do you worship? Why do you do the thing? Why does your church do the things that they do? Those are opportunities for us to give an answer. But those answers, if we're going to be the light of the world, need to be based in the light that God has given us in His Word. That's what we are pointing people to. Because that's what shows us the way that we are to go. But also, another thing about light, as it illuminates the way that we are to go, it also exposes the ways that we are not to go, exposes wickedness and exposes threats that when you go into a dark house and maybe you left the door unlocked and you don't know if you just left it unlocked or if someone's inside, first thing you do, you try to turn on as many lights as you can to see if there's a threat there, to see if there's someone, someone in there who shouldn't be there and the light helps you identify the dangers, identify threats and things like that. More crimes would be committed at night because the criminals can hide in the darkness and you might not see them, you might not notice that they're there. Light exposes dangers, exposes wickedness, exposes sins. John chapter 8 and verse 12, Jesus described himself in that verse as the light of the world. And as the light of the world, this is one of the things that he was doing. He was not only showing us the way that we need to go, but also exposing those who were not following what the Lord wanted, not being faithful to God. Back in John chapter 3, John chapter 3, probably the most famous verse in the Bible, is John 3.16, where it says, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. That there is hope that is offered to all through Christ. But just a couple verses later, in this same context, same discussion that, that Jesus is having here, He said in verse 18, He who believes in, in Him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because He has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. There's going to be two different types of people. Those who believe in Jesus and those who don't. Well, verse 19 he says, this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and men loved the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. 
that there are people, there are many people who just don't want to follow what God says. They don't want to serve Him. They don't want to be faithful to Him. They want to engage in the behavior that they've always enjoyed, what they've always engaged. They want, they want to do those things that bring pleasure to them. And He says that their deeds are evil. In verse 20, it says, For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. The light shines on these evil deeds, exposes them for what they are. They cannot hide and cannot just blend in with everyone else because you take the light out of the world, you take Jesus out, you take his followers out of the world, and then the evil that people are committing, well, it doesn't seem quite so bad because everyone else is doing the same types of things. But when we come in as followers of Christ, we are the light of the world just by our presence, just by our actions. We show a stark contrast between what we ought to be doing and then what these others are doing who have rejected the light, have rejected the Lord. Jesus came, he says, I'm the light of the world. And one of the things that light does, it exposes those things that are wrong. And we have a responsibility to do the same thing. Going back to what we talked about with teaching that we, that we are trying to show people the way. Well, there's also the sense that we teach and we expose those things that are wrong as well. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 11, Paul told those brethren not to participate or have no fellowship with the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. That those who are who are walking in a way that is contrary to the will of God, point that out. And again, you're not, you're not doing that simply to be mean or to, to gang up on someone or anything like that, but to make the point that this is not the way that we need to be following. This is not the path that we need to take. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul, in the writing of those brethren, told them in verse 15 that, that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach. I mean, be the light of the world, be the salt of the earth. Above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. And we think about the world that we live in and how corrupt and how you know crooked and how perverted it is. Paul says you, in the first century, you're living in the same type of, of environment. You are in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. You appear as lights in the world. Verse 16 says, holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain or toil in vain. We are lights in the world and we are holding fast to the word of God. That's the standard. That's what we are trying to follow. That's what we are trying to draw people to is to the Word of God. That shows us the way that we need to take. But in order to do that, in order to get people to realize that, it also involves exposing these other ways that are wrong. People have to realize that such and such activity or such practice or whatever it is, that that is wrong and it leads to destruction. We are trying to bring people to Christ and that way of salvation that He offers. That light shows the way of salvation, but it also exposes the wickedness for what it is. But then the last analogy that Jesus used in Matthew chapter 5. He said, you are a city set on a hill. He kind of mentioned that in the middle of what he said about being the light of the world. And there are some similarities to those. 
But he says you are a city, and he says that, that is set on a hill, and that is significant here. The, the location of that city is significant, which goes along with what we saw with the light, that it is highly visible. It cannot be hidden. You take a lamp, you light it, you put it in your house, you don't cover it up because you want it to illuminate the room. Well, you'd have a city here. In a city that is built on top of a hill, well, you're not going to find something to cover that up. You're not going to be able to hide the city. The city cannot be hidden. If we are going to follow Christ, we are going to stand out. We are going to be different, We're, and that difference is going to be noticeable. The verse that was read for us in the scripture reading talked about how we are not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed. We are going to be different, and people are going to notice that. Jesus said in Matthew 5 and verse 16, they will see your good works. They will notice this about you. Over in 1 Peter chapter 2, the Apostle Peter also talked about this, of people seeing what we are doing and reacting a certain way to it. <clears throat> 1 Peter 2 and verse 12, he said, Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, meaning they are trying to accuse you of wrongdoing, they're trying to accuse you of, of evildoing, because they don't, they don't want to, to listen to what you're saying, that, again, as light exposes darkness, as, or exposes wickedness, they don't want that light shown on them. They don't want that distinction to be clearly seen. So they slander you as evildoers. And this happens all the time where Christians are falsely accused of, of whatever it might be, of being hypocrites or being bigots. And A lot of times those are false accusations. Sometimes they're not. Sometimes there's something to that. But a lot of times those are just excuses that people use to deflect from what we represent. Because they don't want to, they don't want to feel the tinge in their conscience that they need to be doing the same thing. They need to be following the Lord too. But they're going to slander you as evildoers. But Peter says they may, because of your good deeds as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Which is what Jesus said back in Matthew 5 and verse 16. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven that they may eventually be turned around, that they may realize that, no, this is right. I do need to be following what, what this teaches and, and what this other person that I've been trying to discredit and trying to slander and do all these things, I need to be like what that person is. I need to be a follower of Christ as well. The city set on a hill is clearly visible, and it's visible for miles around. People are going to see us, and they need to see our good works. But also a city that is set on a hill is also a target. That if, a, if an enemy army is coming into a country, coming into a region, they need to take the strongholds. They need to take those places that are in positions of strength. And so that city that's on a hill, that's going to be a target. It can't hide. You can't... You can't avoid it. You can't overlook it. That city that is set on a hill becomes a target. Jesus, over in John chapter 15, warned his apostles. And this was shortly before his death. So this was, they were going to very quickly see just how bad this could get. But before his death, Jesus warned his apostles about this. In 
Well, beginning in verse 18, he says, If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this the world hates you. They are going to hate you. They're going to turn against you. In the next chapter, part of the same discourse here, in chapter 16, it says in verse 2, they will make you outcast from the synagogue. An hour is coming when for everyone who kills you to think that he is offering service to God. That they're going to be religiously motivated. And there are people who are religiously motivated today and kill Christians because of it. Time is coming where they're going to do this. That you're going to face this. Why? It says in verse 3, the things... These things they will do because they have not known the Father or me. If you were of the world, they would accept you. But I've chosen you out of the world. So because of this, the world hates you. Paul, when he wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3 and verse 12, said that all who desire to live godly in this life will be persecuted. It's not a question. It's not just a possibility. It says you will be persecuted. Now, the degree of persecution, that may differ. It could be that we'll be slandered or made fun of or ostracized. Or it could be that, and has happened in the New Testament, happens in, in generations past that, where you had Christians who were put in prison, who were killed in different parts of the world. That even happens today. All who desire to live godly in this life will be persecuted. Jesus says you are a city set on a hill. You're going to be a target. But... As that city set on a hill, you're also in a position of strength. That's why that city is targeted. Because it's a stronghold. Because if we can take that city, then we can, we can hold on to this region around here. The city that is on a hill is in a position of strength. So we see in different passages, and a couple that we've noticed already, but Christians are going to face persecution in some form or fashion throughout their lives. But we should not despair when we face opposition, when we face challenges, when we face persecution. Jesus said over in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 28, Do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. The persecution, when that comes against us, you think about the worst thing that they can do. The worst thing they can do is kill you. Jesus said, don't fear them. If they, even if they were to do that, they might be able to kill your body, but they cannot kill your soul. There is that part of you that God has created that lives on after this life is over. So whether you are killed because you're a Christian or you live 70, 80, 90 years or more and die of old age. Regardless of what happened, how that passing goes, your body is going to be dead one day. But there's that part of you, the real you, that lives on after this, after this life is over. And Jesus said, don't fear those who can, all they can do is kill the body. But God is able to, has power over your body and your soul that he can reward you with heaven or he can punish you for eternity. Don't Fear the ones who can only kill the body. Fear God and other passages add to that. Fear God and keep His commandments. Do His will. Follow Him in all things. Don't let the people who all they can do is kill your body. Don't let them deter you from serving God and being faithful to Him. 
The city that is set on a hill is in a position of strength. So we'll face persecution. But we don't need to despair. A city that is on a hill is in a position of strength because of the natural defenses. That it is in an elevated place. It is easier to fight and defend that position than it would be a city that is situated somewhere else. We are in a position of strength. We have the Lord on our side. If we are following Him, we have the Lord on our side. In the book of Revelation, and there's a lot of symbolic language in the book of Revelation, and people have different ideas of, of what's what it's referring to and, and the time period and all of that, but the basic message of the book of Revelation is that the enemies of God are going to rebel against him and will also, in doing that, also be against the people of God. Revelation 17 and verse 14 tells us that these will make war with the Lamb. They will go to war against Christ. But the Lamb will overcome them because he is Lord of lords and King of kings and those who are with him are called and chosen and faithful. We will overcome no matter what the opposition is as long as we are faithful to Christ. And that's the point Paul made over in Romans chapter 8 as he was writing to those brethren there. He said in verse 31 of Romans chapter 8, What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? And we could think, well, we could make a list of all the ones who are against us. You could have friends or family who are opposed to what we do and what we believe and what we practice. You could have people at work and, and problems that come there because we try to be faithful and we won't do some of the things that maybe the boss expects us to do or our co-workers want us to do. You could have opposition from civil authorities when you have godless leaders put in place and they target those who are trying to follow God or maybe not civil authorities, but it could be other groups. You have Islamic groups around the world who brutally attack Christians in different places. There are all sorts of different things that we could list. Well, all these things are against us, but God is for us. And so when you compare them, well, who is against or who does it really matter? Who is against us? Because God is for us. In verse 37, it says, In all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through Him who loved us. It's not that, sh- that we just barely eke out a victory in this battle for the cause of Christ. So we overwhelmingly conquer through Him who loved us. We have the Lord on our side. We are in a position of strength. We don't need to fear what we're going to face or what we might suffer, but instead remain faithful to Him. So, as disciples of Christ, we are not going to blend in and we cannot blend in with the world around us. If we follow Christ as we should, then we are going to stand out. We are going to be the salt of the earth the light of the world. We're going to be a city that is set on a hill. But being different from the world does not mean that we cut ourselves off from the world and we remain isolated from everyone. Jesus says you are going to have an influence on other people. You are going to help spread what is 
right and what is true. You're going to help, through your example, show what is right and good. You're going to teach His will to others. You're going to try to convince others and lead others to also become followers of Him as well. That's what we've been called to, to do and to be as His people. And so as we go throughout our lives, let's remember who we are as His children and be the salt and be the light and be that city that is set on a hill as we go about and live with the people around us. So we close the lesson and extend the Lord's invitation. We want to invite anyone who is not yet a Christian to become one. If you believe that Jesus is the Christ and you're willing to repent and turn from your sins and confess your faith and be baptized into Christ and have your sins washed away, the Lord will add you to His church. We can help you do that today. If you've done that and become a Christian but you haven't lived as we've talked about this morning, you haven't been the salt of the earth, you haven't been the light of the world, you've tried to hide your light, or you've lived as the world lives and there's really no difference between what you've been doing and what the world is doing. Well, if that's the case, then turn from that. Repent of that. Pray to God and ask Him for forgiveness and He will forgive you. But whatever your need is, if you're subject to the invitation in any way, we invite you to come forward as we stand and sing.